Dear Lord, may this day we receive the glory of the light of your gospel. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. So you may know the 19th century uh, Dutch philosopher uh, named Soren Kierkegaard. He tells a story that goes something like this. He said, one day there was a preacher goose. Uh, Now, I've been called a turkey before, but never a preacher goose. Uh, But this was a preacher goose, and he climbs up in the pulpit, and he preaches to his flock, the congregation. And he talks about the, the joys of being a goose. He talks about how strong their wings are and how they soar above the clouds and what strength there is in community of the geese and and what a joy it is simply to be free like a goose is free. And every time the preacher extols the virtues of being a goose, the congregation of geese, they would squawk and honk with amens of delight. Preach on, preacher goose. And then they would go home. They'd eat their fried chicken and potato salad after church. They would talk about what a great sermon that was by the preacher goose today. Until one day, they dismissed the congregation. And the preacher, uh, the uh, usher geese opened up the doors of the church. And they went outside and the geese were eaten by a lion. They squawked in horror, yes. They flapped their wings and tried to fly, yes. But they had grown fat and lazy. They had forgotten how to fly. They had heard the word all that time and said, what a great preacher that is. But they never applied the word to their lives. Okay, so get that. The moral of the story is we can hear the gospel, but until we apply it to our lives and flap our wings for Jesus, then we're no better off than those fat and lazy geese. 1 Peter 5.8 tells it this way. Peter says, be sober. Be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour us. Jesus said the gospel's like this. He told a parable about a sower and a seed. He said it's like God spreading the word in the, in the world, like seeds sown by a farmer. He said but some of those seeds fall, and initially they fall on good ground of the kingdom, But someone doesn't understand it and someone doesn't apply it. And the evil one comes along behind the farmer and snatches that seed up before it grows into the fullness of God. So we welcome you on this fifth and last Sunday of Awakening Holiness, Awakening Holiness. And today we're talking about sanctification or growing that seed of the gospel up in our lives. And of course the series based on Thomas Cranmer's Colics in the ancient prayer book. Last week, Corey took us through the pathway of justification. Remember that? We told the story of the prodigal son and and God's justifying grace for prodigals who have long strayed from God and how God welcomes them back in through justifying grace back into the family. Come, come, let us uh, put the best robe on him, put the ring on him, and uh, kill the fatted calf. My son who was lost is now found again. So that's justification. Please don't confuse that with sanctification. In justification, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you are saved by grace through faith. There is no work that you could ever do to earn your way back into God's house, into God's family. But when that word of God imprints on your heart 
And when you receive the joy of your salvation, when you are born again as a Christian, you want to live into Jesus. You want to press into holiness. You want to, to, to be holy as he is holy. You want to pursue him. And that's sanctification. It's a process that won't be complete until heaven, but it begins right here and right now for mature Christians. And that's what we're talking about. We're in Philippians chapter 3 today. If you have your Bibles and your phones or whatever, uh, chapter 3, we're going to look a little bit earlier than what we just read into verse 2, okay? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What in the world are you talking about, Paul? He's talking about these people called Judaizers. And the Judaizers were either Jewish Christians or Jews who were coming into the early church and teaching Christians that you had to have Jesus plus the law. You had to have the cross plus the works of the flesh. You had to have faith in Jesus plus circumcision. Faith plus keeping the dietary laws. Jesus plus something else. Paul's like, no, you don't. In fact, he goes on this little argument with them. He says, if you could be justified in the flesh by the law, I of all people would have qualified under those old standards. Look at verse 4. He says, if anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more than that guy. And then he pulls out his spiritual resume. Look at verses 5 and 6. He said, man, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I come from the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. If anybody can be justified in the flesh, it would be me. Look at verse 6. As for zeal, man, I was a persecutor of the church. I was killing Christians for God. He said, as to the law, I was blameless. I kept it better than all of you. I was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. So what Paul's describing there is our relationship with God the Father is justified not by works, if anybody could be justified by works, it would be Paul. It's not about religion. It's not about doing. It's not about living the law. It's about living in a personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus. It's not religion, but relationship that Paul's talking about. And he goes on to say in verse 8, Indeed, that old life in the flesh I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus personally as my Lord. And then look at the rest of that verse. For I have suffered loss of all things, all that old life, and I count it now as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. That's justification. That word rubbish, that old life is rubbish. The Greek word is scandalon, and, and that word rubbish, the translation is pretty weak. Uh, because we have children, I'll keep this PG-13. Uh, but literally what that means is dung or excrement or the stuff that hits the fan. Uh, that's what he's talking about. That's, that's uh, scubalon. And you see what he's saying. That old life is dung compared to the worth of knowing Christ Jesus. It's not religion. It's a relationship that I'm living for. And he's saying once it's imprints on my heart, once I understand how great a sinner I am and what a great Savior I serve, once I know the gospel, then I want to live for him. I want to live into him. I want to grow in him. And finally, I want to become like him. 
holy as he is holy. That's sanctification. Look at verse 10. Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Pay attention to that. That I may die with Jesus. That I may die with Jesus. Now, um, Paul says in Romans, we were buried therefore with him in baptism into his death, death, in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That's sanctification. The old Adam, the old fleshly self is dying off and we are growing into the new life of Christ, into his likeness. So the old nature of personal gain, personal pleasure, hedonistic experiences, that, that Adam needs to die. That Eve needs to die. Christ needs to take root and grow. So that's sanctification. It's a lifelong process. You won't get here, there in this life. You'll get better by God's grace through the power of the Spirit, but you won't get there. Verse 12, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm in a love relationship with my Savior. So I press. And he starts to use athletic imagery here. I press on towards the goal. Verse 13, I'm straining towards Jesus. Verse 14, I'm I'm pressing towards the finish line, that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in verse 15, he says that let those who are mature think in this way, pressing, straining, running towards the goal who is Christ Jesus. Mature Christians run the race of death to the old life in the flesh and life in Jesus that is resurrection life. So that's sanctification. Practically, what does that mean for you? I want to brush on five things. If you're a mature Christian, you're going to be growing in these ways. First of all, We should all have about us a sense of holy discontentment. We should know how far we are away from the goal, and we ought to press and strain towards it, to strive, to press, to push into Jesus to the finish line. Paul says this in um, Okay. (laughs) Paul says this uh, in Timothy 4-7. He says, train yourself in godliness, okay? He says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, every athlete exercises self-control over all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, and they run the race and win it. But we an imperishable wreath. We've got a race towards heaven. So do I run aimlessly, and I do not box as one who beats the air? But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. He says, I don't run aimlessly. In other words, i got a plan for sanctification. I'm not just running around. He said, I don't box as though one is punching the air. Now, that's, that's a shadow boxing. If you're shadow boxing, you're not really boxing. You're preparing to box. You're not really punching. You're, you're just going through the motions, okay? So Paul's saying, I don't run aimlessly, and I don't just shadow box. I do the real thing. So he has a sense of holy discontentment. That spurs him on to Christ-likeness. In other words, you got to look inside and be introspective 
in order to gain holy discontentment. Ask yourself, am I worshiping with my heart and my soul and my mind on Sunday? Am I giving Jesus everything or am I shadow boxing and running aimlessly? Are you reading good books that steer you in sanctification? Do you have a plan for reading the Bible in order to grow closer to Jesus relationally? Do you have a regular time to pray, or are you just aimlessly walking your Christian life? Do you pray intensely? Do you tithe, give a full 10% of all that God's given you to his glory? Are you investing in the things of God? If not, why not? If not, why not have a plan? Not just running aimlessly and beating the air, but actually making progress for Jesus. You have to have a plan. You have to have a goal to grow towards Christ. You know that word disciple comes from the same root word as discipline. You got to be disciplined to be a disciple. You got to exercise and flap those wings. The next thing. For me, I love the Bible and I love to, to reason theology, but I'm not very good at a prayer life. And so the next thing is, if you want to know your weaknesses and you have a plan to address those weaknesses, uh, then, then you've got to strive in that arena to make Jesus the Lord of that area as well. For me and prayer, my prayer life, I, I know I'm weak. So I asked the prayer teams here at the church to give me a book by Tim Keller on prayer this last uh, Advent. And I took a class uh, through that book, and I told them, Guys, I'm not a guru at this. In fact, this is an area of weakness. And so I come alongside you in weakness because I need to strengthen this aspect of my life. And so you see the weakness, you strain, you press, you run, you try and attack it as a goal in sanctification. The next thing, walk with others. There's an old proverb that says this, if you want to travel fast, travel alone. If you want to go far in life, travel with other people. Okay, so you need to walk with others. Join a life group, okay? Uh, find a Bible study where people can hold you accountable and that you can learn from those people. There's a phenomenon in our church called F3 that a lot of people are doing. The men are doing faith, fitness, and fellowship. And they're holding each other accountable to that and strengthening each other on the journey so that they can walk far for Jesus. The next thing. Measure yourself against the mirror of Christ's holiness, okay? That's where you want to strain, towards Christ's likeness. This past week at our life group, um, we're studying It Is Finished, and we're studying the crucifixion, and I just held the mirror of Jesus up to me and, and found myself in holy discontent. He's on the cross. He's dying for our sins. He's got immeasurable pain and unthinkable humiliation, and what is he doing? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mother, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. He's thinking about others while he's in, 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 in incredible pain. You know, when I get sick with the flu, the world revolves around me. Leslie may have just had the flu last week, and I, honey, you don't understand. I have it ten times worse than you've ever had it. Or when I'm under stress at work, oftentimes I'll go home. And I'll bite and say stinging things to my wife and my children. So when Jesus is under pain, he cares more for others. When I'm under stress and pain, I become more self-interested. I held the mirror up and found out that there is holy discontent. I need to grow in that area. And finally, 
Surround yourself with people who will stretch you. You know, flabby people who are uh, out of shape, they don't want to go to Gold's Gym. Gold's Gym is a bunch of chiseled people. It's just embarrassing. It's not healthy. Uh, <laughs> you you want to go to the YMCA and start there. And then work your way towards Gold's Gym. Christians, we do the opposite. We want to be around people who are strong in our areas of weakness. I want to be around prayer gurus who know how to pray. If you're weak in the Bible, you need to be around people who've had those biblical roots sink deeply into the soil of Jesus and learn from them. It used to be that I was uh, shy, and I would shy away from charismatics. I remember going to All Saints Episcopal in Pauley's Island for their healing service on Wednesday one time when I was in college. It was a standard Eucharist, which I was very comfortable with. And then all of a sudden, they broke us down into these prayer pods. And they were waving their hands over our heads. And they were speaking in tongues. And I looked around me, and there were bodies strewn all over the place, people being slain in the Spirit. And I'm like, freaky, this is weird. And I was so uncomfortable, didn't want to ever have that experience again. But the more I mature, the more I want to be around charismatics and know the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I can gain from that. I want to be around people who are strong in my weakness. And so, at convention yesterday, I was told that one of my old parishioners at St. Helena's, uh, I mean, uh, at St. Paul's in Conway, was going to Curcio. And I said, Mert? Mert is a guy that hates contemporary music. Mert is a guy who in worship has never had his hands leave his side. Mert is the guy in the dictionary where it says curmudgeon, and it's his picture that's in the dictionary. And then I thought to myself, good for you, Mert. You're stretching yourself. You're flapping your wings. You're growing in sanctification. So these, six, these five things. When you, you want to cultivate holy discontent, you want to find out your weaknesses and then attack it, strive, press, strain for more of Jesus in that area. You need to walk with others in sanctification. You need to, to use Jesus and his holiness as your mirror for righteousness. And then you need to surround yourself with people who will stretch you. Here's the point. No one stumbles into holiness. No one ever has stumbled into holiness. Christ's likeness comes through a plan, through discipline, not boxing the air, not running aimlessly, but knowing when and how I'm going to grow. And if you'll do that, if you'll strain, if you'll press, if you'll have a plan, then here's your promise from Scripture, from Philippians 1. He who has begun a good work in you will faithfully see it to completion. I like what old John Newton had to say about this. You know, he was a slave trader, a vile individual, terrible guy. Later he was justified and became sanctified, and he, he wrote uh, Amazing Grace in that sanctification process. But he once said this about the process. He said, I'm not the man I ought to be. In other words, he had holy discontent. I'm not the man I hope to become. He had a goal in mind for sanctification. But by God's grace, I'm not the man I once was. He was flapping his wings. He was making progress. I pray the same for you. To God be the glory, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.